Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. All right, we uh, we kind of skipped around a little bit last time, so we're going to go back to Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. You know, when we first come to faith in Christ, all these blessings that we have that that come through accepting the gospel and how it really completely changes our perspective on life and, and the power that it has to move us closer to God so that we can experience him more and more each day. Yeah, this is one of my very favorite little passages of scripture because it, it's sort of like Paul Harvey used to say, and now for the rest of the story, because, uh, you know, we've, we've seen, we've kind of discussed together what great love God has had for us and how he desires to give us life and how he, uh, through his son, Jesus Christ provided redemption so that we could be reconciled and, and through his life be saved and, and how uh, this has all kind of come about, you know, on God's part towards us, the objective notion of what he was doing. This is all a done deal. That, and as we move into faith, we believe that now it becomes ours, that his love is manifest towards it and we can take hold of it. And so today, and we, we, we looked at words like justification, how that's the legal process of that happening, but it's actually a real process as well that occurs. Today, we're going to discuss what happens to me when I believe, what happens inside of us when we believe, because we talked about there's more than intellectual assent, so to speak, of yet me saying yes to Christ, even though that's the important part. It's, it's God saying, okay, where do we go from here? And that's why I love this section of scripture, because it's pretty, pretty rich in terms of, of where God wants to take us. Yeah, first on the list we have in verse one there, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that peace, Jeff? Yeah, it's not the kind of peace maybe that we'd like to think about. Like, I don't always have peace in my life, in the world I'm in, but this is peace with God. Uh, that's a different kind of peace. Because remember last time we discussed, we read from verse 10, before Jesus, we were enemies of God. And enemies kind of has the opposite connotation of what it means to have peace, right? Unless there's a, a peace agreement that's made, enemies stand in opposition to each other. Now, the interesting thing about God, it doesn't, that word enemies really doesn't apply appropriately to God because he's never really wanting to be our enemy. It's us wanting to be his enemy that puts us in that position. Yeah, it's kind of like that, that school bully that you had that you really don't know why they, they pick on you. You want to be friendly with them, but something prevents them from seeing you any differently. The word enemies, as it regards to our relationship with God, is really one-sided. You know, we're the ones that are creating the, the enemy uh, notion. And here we have God coming up with a solution so that he can create peace between us, which is pretty, pretty amazing. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is really a positive change because if there's peace between us, that means, uh, like uh, Paul says later, we are reconciled, we're brought back together. We don't have to be on opposite lines anymore. We can be together, and to be with God means that we have life 
and life more abundant. Yeah, because without without God, we don't have peace. We we're always going to be struggling, fighting against what He has for us. You know, the plans that that He may have for our lives, because He doesn't want us to be stuck in our misery and and pain. But here we are. We we kind of you know as the as a dog goes back to its vomit, you know, he wants to rescue us from uh, inflicting more harm on ourselves. Yeah, and this kind of peace is different in that it's sort of the over, it's sort of like God's love. It's a different kind of love than we experience in our daily lives. When we begin to experience God's love in our lives, we it makes the other loves in our life better. Does that make sense? Yeah, Jesus Jesus said that he gives us peace, but it's not like the peace that the world can give, not something that is like a superficial agreement that, you know, somebody could one day decide that oh, I want I'm going to change this, but the kind of peace that he gives us is eternal and it doesn't it doesn't have to end on short notice. But it also has an effect on how we have peace with other people. Like if you don't have peace with God, which is the ultimate peace that we need in our lives, it makes it very difficult to have peace with other people. Sometimes that'll reflect in our own lives because there are things about ourselves that we don't like. And God says, I'm going to give you my peace and it's going to be okay. You you are going to experience my peace in a way where you'll actually will care about yourself. I know somebody who, who says, well, if I could just learn to love myself, I could do better things for myself. But God says, no, I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to give you the peace that I have, and you'll be okay then. Pretty amazing thing. It's, this is the first, uh, really what I would call fruit of the justification experience. Like when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, the first thing God says is, I give you my peace. Peace be still, you know, just just be still for a moment and understand that we're no longer separated. We're no longer enemies, that we're working together. This is a, you know, if you just really take the time to think about this, it's an amazing moment in time to realize that we're no longer, that God has lifted the burden of sin and death from over us. And now we're just in peace with him. It's a wonderful thing, but that's not the only thing. The next thing it says, which is equally fascinating, it says in verse two, that through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I love this section. I, I, I wish it was worded a little bit more easy to understand, but I'm just going to put it this way. The way I think about this is once we have been justified, once we've accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, once we've said yes to Jesus, that we have access by faith, and it's still by faith, into his grace, wherein we stand. And I always like to envision this as like you're standing in a swimming pool full of water right up to your neck. And that, that all that water is grace, that God has, and we're standing there. It's in, it's in abundance. Uh, and because it's in abundance, it also allows us to know that, and we're standing in grace, it allows us to know that we're still going to make mistakes, but it doesn't change our position in Christ. It gives us a sense of gratefulness because you know that you didn't deserve it. It's this privilege that is provided by somebody else. And so you're more likely, you know, when, when something's given to you and you understand how great it is, 
then you're going to appreciate it more. You're right. There is this hope that when you, you know, momentarily have a lapse, that, that grace will just be so much more vivid in your mind because it's like, oh, well, I am, I'm stuck in this, but I know that God is going to bring me through it. And so I don't have to beat myself up about it. I can hold on to that peace and I can look forward to the continual forgiveness that is provided through God's grace. Yeah, it really flies in the face of what a lot of people believe. A lot of people believe that their their uh, Christian ex- experience is sort of a salvation by chance thing. In other words, if they if they sin, they're out of grace. If they um, believe, they're in grace, and uh, we kind of rock in and out of those things as we grow in Christ. Uh, and God wants us to know that it, as we're growing in him, that we're in a safe place called grace, in this, this pool of grace, where forgiveness is readily available. And it doesn't mean that when we make a mistake that we're lost for eternity. What it means is because we've accepted the blood of Jesus as our personal Savior, that God's coverage extends to us because he knows what we believe. He understands our heart. And so we don't have to have this idea, this schizophrenia of our relationship with God, and that is is that we're always we're going in and out. And so we, all, we're, all we're ever worried about is, is am I good enough? you know, at this point in time. The Apostle Paul, his experience with this was pretty amazing because most people think that as we enter into life with Christ, that we're, sins begin to disappear in our lives. And and that may be true, but it's only to reveal that that as things disappear, other things appear as we get closer and closer to Jesus. And so Paul's conclusion towards the end of his life, and that is, is that you know, I'm the chief of sinners. At the end of his life, after he's experienced the whole process of life-changing events where he's drawn closer to Christ, he realizes his the fact that he's still a sinner in need of a savior might be different sins at that point in time. But he also realizes by saying, I've fought a good fight, run a good race. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He could say at the same time as saying, I'm the chief of sinners, that righteousness and that salvation is mine in Jesus Christ. Sometimes people will genuinely, you know, backslide and 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 move away from a faith experience. But other times sometimes we'll feel like we're far away from God when when really it's just God revealing to us our own sinful nature more clearly. And so rather than kind of getting down in the dumps about it, you just say to God, "Okay, well, if, if this is what you're going to show me, then I'm going to give it to you because I know that you know what to do with it and that through you, I have peace and grace and you've made a way. It is funny how we, when we do fall into sin, how we sometimes fall into this idea that we need to give God a break from us for a while because, you know, I can't, I can't talk to him for a while because I just did this and this and this. And You must be pretty mad. I got to let him cool off. Right, right. And the reality is, is that God could not demonstrate his love more for us than he already has in his son, Jesus Christ. And so even in, you know, he did it while we were in our sin and he does it while we're in our sins. He still does today. And so as, as we're walking away or whatever we're doing, God is still standing at the door and knocking and saying, this is the most important time 
for us to spend time together is after you've had this sin experience. Please don't lock me out for days because God can make it right in our minds in a moment because of his love for us. So this is a wonderful thing to stand in grace, to stand in a pool of grace. The next thing that Paul speaks about is in verse two at the end, it says, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What do you think that is, Andrew? What do you think that might be? Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Yeah, the hope we have to look forward to is what he promises all along. It's eternal life. It's knowing that no matter what happens, that when you trust in what God has provided, uh, it surpasses anything that this world could ever offer. It's not just looking forward to you know eternal life in heaven or new earth, but the hope that I'll be able to make it through each and every day because of Christ living in me. Yeah, I think that's the key to it is, is that we're hoping that God, uh, through Jesus, begins to reveal himself through the Holy Spirit to, to those around. You know, we're rejoicing in it because, uh, and that's what the scripture says, we're rejoicing, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Our hope and desire as we draw closer to Jesus and is, is, is that God will be revealed. His character, who he is, all his glory will be revealed in our lives now. And we can rejoice in that, that that's going to happen, even though sometimes it feels pretty painful, right? We can still rejoice in it because we know that God is working in us and through us and that he's being revealed. And, and, and that's important as we look a few verses down here in a moment. We're going to see that there's intent. There's a reason for God having people who look like Jesus. There's a, a reason for it. It's a very important reason. But to add explanation to that, Paul says we can, uh, in verse 3, says, and not only that, but we can also glory in tribulations. Okay, so in other words, tribulations are going to come even after, you know, we've accepted Jesus as our personal Savior. But we can look at them differently now. Right, because it's no longer us trying to get through it alone, but it's the attitude, the, the mind of Christ Paul talks about. That is what brings us through the experience of difficulties and knowing that we don't have to rely on ourselves in order to perform our way out of such situations. And it's a process, right? Uh, God doesn't, we don't completely come into conformity to who he wants us to be, but he allows us to go through tribulations, knowing that that, that will produce patience and our perseverance. And then that per perseverance produces character. And then, then once again, character, hope. So in other words, he's shaping us into who Jesus is or was. And he does that through the things that we experience in our life after we've accepted him as our personal savior. I know that I go through things cyclically, it seems like, in my life that uh, God allows me to be exposed to something that has been difficult for me in the past. And he basically says, okay, what have you learned in the past about this situation? And then he, when, when we get through that, there's something else. And I understand that this is a process that I'm going through because God is trying to shape me in the shape of Jesus. And so I can rejoice in that. That's what I want to be. I want to be like 
Jesus. Yeah, ultimately, God wants the world to see Jesus through us. He wants people to recognize that the gospel works, and the evidence of that would be the the peace that we have through tribulations. When people when when somebody sees that, well, you've got a lot going on in your life, and if I was in your position, man, I would I would go crazy. So, what is it that makes it so different for you that even though all this crazy stuff is going on around you, why aren't you flipping out? That's the attractiveness of Christ, right? Is it's that if we aren't having that kind of experience where we can count it all joy, like James says, or we can rejoice while we're going through this, if that's not our experience, then we really have nothing more to offer people than they already are experiencing in their lives. So the world kind of looks on and says, if you're having the same issues that I'm having and you call yourself a Christian, why would I want what you have? This has to be a living revelation within us uh, of what God has said he will do and, and how we will affect our lives and how we approach it. And so you know, rejoicing doesn't mean that we're happy. It does mean that we're rejoicing in the fact that God is doing his will in us. And that gives us, that, that keeps us in his peace and that we're still standing in his grace. But how that happens mechanically comes out in the next part of verse five, where it says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is a wonderful passage because it, it tells us about the love of God. The one thing that we need immediately as we move into this experience is just to be able to reveal the love of God. And so the first thing that happens is the Holy Ghost, as we believe in Jesus Christ, as we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is sent to us. And he, what he does is he pours out the love of God into us. And that's amazing because it immediately is something, it makes us something that we haven't been experiencing in and of ourselves. We aren't capable of God's love on our own, this agape or unconditional love. And then suddenly, because the Holy Spirit now has been poured out into us, it's now living in our lives, we can actually express God's love to the world. have this concept that Christians, you know, they'll act in a certain way and they'll tell you what to do and they'll give you certain restrictions. And and that's somehow the love of God being presented to the church. I don't take it like that, but you know when there is somebody who is actually very kind and considerate and you and you really want to be around them and it's just kind of this mysterious thing. You love, you love being around them because you actually become like a different person when you get to take part in their life. And that's what I see happening through the gospel. The way that it's supposed to work is that coming into that experience with Christ will change you so much that people will actually want to be around you and, 
and experience the joy that that you have experienced and that's how the the gospel organically is is transmitted it doesn't have to have all these complicated uh accoutrements that we attach to it you know these programs and initiatives and oh we have to get motivated to in order for people to to spread the gospel no if if you have experienced these things everybody wants these things if so if you've experienced them you'll you'll want to share it because it is something that is active and alive in your daily existence i like the way i have another version of of that here i want to read it says that the love of god is shed abroad in our hearts by the holy ghost and that kind of gives you uh, this feeling like you've become this sort of, <laughs> I don't want to use the word aura, but like, you know, that the love, you got the love aura thing going on when the Holy Spirit's in your heart. It's just kind of, it's manifesting itself. I've met a few people in my life where I could walk into the room and I already understood that they were a child of God as I walked into the room and had a few moments with them. And it's an exciting experience because you realize they're not just like Christians, so to speak, but they, you feel loved in their presence. And this is the kind of thing that God is wanting his people on an individual basis to experience. Right, and imagine a, a place, a, a meeting, where when you go there, it's like everybody's like that. So how could that not change somebody's ideas about God and what he's like? And it, it also just puts a, an exclamation mark on what Jesus said. As Christ is revealed and the love of God is revealed in us, it's basically raising up who Christ is. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. In other words, people are attracted to the notion of this, of people who have peace with God, of people do, who don't have this... Um, experience of, of uh, being in and out of assurance of that they have, you know, they're attracted to this notion of the church, of people who look at their tribulations as experiences that, that grow them. They're attracted to people who have this unconditional agape love in their hearts, and that is the motivation of their life moving forward. And so, if the church would embrace this, if individuals would embrace this, we wouldn't have to be so program oriented. We wouldn't have to be like, you know, have a program with a hook in it. People would be drawn and attracted to the body of Christ if this is the way Christians were living their lives, allowing the Holy Spirit to express himself through us. Yeah, and I, I, I think Jesus was looking forward to a time prophetically uh, when he said, greater works you will do than I. He was thinking about the time when there is this body of believers who just oozes his love, and it's not just one person being a light to the world, but it's this corporate body all having a little piece of Jesus within them and, them and, and representing uh, his love to the world. Yeah, this kind of can happen with individuals. I Like I said, I've seen individuals, but God is saying in the Bible, he calls it his mystery, so to speak. He's saying, I'm going to do this with a group of people. And, you know, and they're going to manifest corporately this, this experience of agape and this assurance in their salvation to the world. 
And that will be a demonstration of the gospel. It won't be just a, a, a revelation of it It'll, or, or a, a, a telling of it. It's actually going to demonstrate the gospel to the whole world. It's going to happen before Jesus comes again. I, I really want to be part of that body that is like that because I think it'll be the most exciting time as a Christian in the history of humanity to be in that, that group of people who ushers in the second coming of our Lord and Savior with the love of God in our hearts. So as we make this more practical, I uh, think about a few instances, we do ministry here at Simplicity, and we've, we've recognized that you can't just put on programs and expect people to come, but there has to be this genuine connection uh, with folks because people are in the midst of, of trials in their lives, and they don't know how to get out of it. And so the only way you can truly reach their heart is to to be that body of believers who performs the the love of Christ, but also to to draw near to them, to draw close to them. So yes, we've had programs, but we do it within the sense of okay, how is this going to personally affect the people that we're trying to reach? Yeah, we recognize that there are common denominators with the types of people that we're reaching. But it's it's then recognizing the individual needs of that person coming alongside of them and 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 spending that time with them so they can get to know that there's something different about uh, the way that God's people handle situations. Yeah, there's a difference between caring for people and providing assistance to people and loving them with agape love. And that's what we need to learn and we need to move into it because it doesn't it doesn't go out without being fruitful on its return. Not always easy. It's much easier to run a program. We've run over 75 different programs in the course of simplicity over time. Most of them work in, in, in uh, gathering crowds, but what really works is, is when you begin to enter into the lives of individuals and they can see that you love Jesus Christ and that Christ's love is alive in you and you develop friendships, and they sort of have a desire to have what you have personally. So in the end, it's your personal experience and testimony with Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. And, and as many people come together with that personal experience and love for Christ, it becomes a body that is so attractive that people are just drawn to it and want to be part. So if you've been listening to us this far, we just want to thank you for for staying with us. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, please send them to contact at simplicityoutreach.org. Thanks for listening. Visit AdventistCityMinistries.com for more resources, including a study guide, reference compilation, and free downloads of our book, The Ephesus Model. You can also listen to other presentations and episodes of this podcast. See the show notes for links and more information.